This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, May 24th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein. I'm here today to help you become a better investor. Simple as that. And I do that by giving you the right data and perspective that I've developed over 20 plus years of investment experience. And of course, I'm going to blend what I want to talk about and my comments about today's market and environment with the questions that you bring, the topics you select. And that's ultimately what this is about. You set the table for today's show. And that's why you're a vital part of every Invest Talk podcast. Now, here in Invest Talk, we do not pre-screen our live calls in order to shape the show. Uh, just a quick background, uh, I have a, a, a team behind me and they take the calls and then I get an instant message that says, hey, John from Indianapolis wants to talk about this stock or this topic or whatever, and we put them on. And so it's very organic, very straightforward. Uh, and I, I don't, uh, even though, even the ones that are recorded, I don't hear those usually until they're just played on air. So I try to make it uh, very organic in that way. And that's why we love your live calls and committed to answering as best as we can with our viewpoints and, and our, our experience. So we do this with no hidden agenda. Just unbiased guidance to help you pave that path forward, that path towards successful investing. Now, Steve and I encourage you to do a few things, ignore emotions, or at least try to quell them as much as you can. It's a natural part of being a human, but it's also the antithesis of good investing. So you have to refrain from chasing headlines and focus on the task at hand. Now, the more you teach yourself to use the best practices, the more you will eliminate your counterproductive habits, the more you will avoid the pitfalls, and the quicker you will achieve financial freedom. So I'm ready to tackle your questions, and if you've, you have any, give us a call. The InvestTalk phone line Never closes. It's 888 chart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can call and leave a message. And we'll answer it on a future show. If you're listening live during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, you can call right now and talk to me directly. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Could required minimum distributions cause you to overspend? Overspend. So we're going to look at how that is calculated and how to think about that as maybe a guide to your spending habits in retirement. Also, I have a few other topics on the docket. Obviously, the debt ceiling, that's top of mind for most people. And I'm going to look at what the Treasury 
could do if we do hit that debt debt limit, and then ultimately uh, the economic impact, both near and potentially long term. Also, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially, of small time investors, which that's where most of the landlords are. They're small time investors, and they own individual properties, collecting rents, and many of them are are feeling the pinch during this housing, I wouldn't say, call it a bust, but certainly uh, pullback. Uh, and we're going to look at some data there. And then lastly, the oil markets and the plan for the Biden administration to refill the strategic oil reserve. Will he do it? Won't he do it? How will they do it? We're going to look at that topic because I don't think we've addressed it really in a while. So those are the things that are on the docket for me, but this is about you once again, and we're going to get to your voice bank questions as well as a few of your uh, calls uh, in regards to technical indicators as well as Kraft Heinz and an iTunes review question as well. So I've this, this all planned for this Wednesday episode of Invest Talk, and of course, we're taking your live calls at 888.99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today, and it was a decidedly weekday. You had real estate down the most, down about 2%. Financial services down about 1.3%. Basic materials, 1.2%. Energy was the bright spot, up about 0.44% today. Uh, and that was a, a really interesting uh, sell-off later in the day. And uh, this is something that I was expecting uh, a bit, a uh, sell-off into month-end as this debt ceiling approaches. And there's a lot of more headlines about what's going to happen next. And... Um, you know that's that's a uh, that's that's to be expected, right? Volatility's been low. We've had a little bit of a pullback here, but we remain kind of in a consolidation uh, period, really for about two and a half months now. A bullish consolidation period, a choppy one, uh, and probably a a difficult one for most investors, but uh, a bullish one nonetheless. I think uh, after we get through this, which I do think we will, uh, even though we'll, we'll broach that topic here later in the show, uh, I do think we have more upside in the market, maybe before real volatility. I don't think this is real volatility quite yet. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream on 888, uh, you can call right now at 888 chart The KPP Premium Newsletter won't guarantee your success, but it can help you become a smarter investor. And here's good news. From now through Memorial Day, each new subscriber to the KPP Premium Newsletter will get a free copy of Steve Peasley's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. That's right. You listen to Steve and Justin on InvestTalk, and now, for a limited time, you can receive a free copy of Steve Peasley's book. When you subscribe to the weekly KPP Premium Newsletter, you'll get an up-to-date analysis of current market conditions, two stock ideas that Steve and Justin think you might want to watch, and tips on how to properly manage your portfolio assets. Learn more and subscribe now at kppfinancial.com. And please be sure to tell your friends and family members.
Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Steve from Mission Viejo, California. I wanted to get your thoughts on Disney. It's come off quite a bit from its highs. It's been in the news quite a bit. And just wanted to get your thoughts on now being a good time to jump in. Thanks. appreciate all that you do. All right. right. Looking at Disney, I don't think I need to explain what Disney does, but they've certainly reversed pretty much the entire pandemic gain and almost then some, right? Uh, During the pandemic, the price of Disney went from about 140 right around the pandemic and hit a low right around in the high 70s. And now we're at 89, even though it had a high back in, let's see, 2021, over $200 per share. So you're talking about down over 50% from its high. But remember, that's never a reason to just simply buy a stock. Just because it's down 50, 60% doesn't mean that that is a great buy. It could have just been drastically overvalued back then. And I think Disney definitely was at 200. Now, earnings this year are supposed to come in at about $4 per share. That's up 12% from last year. But those expectations continue to come down. Analysts' uh, trends there uh, are down. Now, last quarter, revenues were up 13%. Earnings were down 14% year over year. And obviously, that's why they, they continue to come down. Now, Disney Plus was a big driver of why you had the, the stock up so much, uh, people overvaluing the potential of that platform. But, you know, it's done fairly well. Uh, you know, probably better than most people uh, had uh, expected to a degree. And they've actually recently raised prices, which I think is a smart thing to do, right? They have a very strong IP portfolio. You could argue one of the best in the world, especially in the entertainment business. So it's hard to argue with that. Now, one issue with their business is that they are, you know, ESPN is a big part of their business. They also own Hulu, um, and, you know, with the cord cutting, Disney or sorry, ESPN is a big, big driver of the reason why people have cable and the rights to that uh, continue to kind of go down as more, there are more and more cord cutters. And I think that's only going to continue uh, and why uh, another reason why you see uh, their their business uh, continue to struggle. Now, if you look going forward, earnings of say four dollars per share, it's still trading at about twenty two times forward earnings, which you know isn't exactly cheap. Okay, enterprise value to EBITDA right around sixteen times, and you know that is right along where right about where it was trading pre pandemic. Okay, so. I think now Disney is fairly valued. I don't think it's expensive anymore after this uh, this decline. But you don't buy. Remember, I say the market's like a pendulum, right? It's going back and forth between uh, people that are overly bullish and overly bearish. And usually it doesn't stop in the middle, you know, right where fair value is on a company. And so that would be my ultimate worry is that this is going to completely go the other way uh, and 
and, and become eventually really undervalued. And I don't think it's quite there yet. Now, if it gets to about $61 per share, that's where I start to think, okay, it is sufficiently undervalued. There's the margin of safety for me there to pick it up. But that's my, that's my uh, buy point right around low 60s, all right? Thanks for the call. Now let's try to make it two in a row from 8 at 8, 99 chart. Hey guys, love to get your thoughts on Kraft Kinds, ticker symbol KHC. Uh, looks like it came off of highs, uh, pays pretty good dividend. Just looking for it to hold it for a long term. Thanks. All right. Now, first off, you should never lead with the reason to own a name uh, is the dividend. Dividend secondary. Dividend is simply a capital allocation decision by management. Companies that are profitable, they're, they have some sort of income, cash flow, et cetera. They have to figure out what to do with that money. Some reinvest it in the business. Typically, those are more growth-oriented names. Others buy back stocks, uh, stock. Others pay dividends. So it's just simply a capital allocation thing. So it's just more about the, the strength of the business. Earnings are supposed to be $3 per share next year, trading at $38 per share. It's about 13 times forward looking earnings, but it's a very slow growth business, right? This isn't an exciting business whatsoever. Uh, the technicals, eh, they're pretty, pretty neutral, I would call them. And if I'm looking at the valuation about 14 times, I think it's a little bit overvalued, to be honest with you. I, I just don't. I'm not in love with the business at these prices, at least not yet. So I would say it's modestly overvalued and the technicals are poor. So uh, I'm going to pass on Kynes Craft, Craft Heinz, Craft Heinz for now. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing. And serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Could requirement required minimum distributions cause you to overspend? And this is a, a interesting topic because the calculations have changed throughout the years. When you take RMDs has changed, you know, it used to be, uh, I believe it was 70. And then it went to 72. Now it's 73. And, you know, the, these things evolve as well as life expectancy. Okay. Now, what unfortunately happens for retirees is they take money out due to RMDs, required minimum distributions. This is what you're forced to take from 401ks and IRAs that have never been taxed, right? Pre-tax dollars. And they think, well, now I, I have it. I'm, I'm going to go spend it. But that's a lack of really forth, forethought and planning. And they don't realize there's a few options that they can take advantage of. Now, what's interesting is beginning last year, RMD tables used a different calculation and revised to incorporate longer life expectancy. 
And this means that RMDs are now a bit smaller than they were before and actually help with this makes it it's a little bit more conservative of a withdrawal schedule. Not in a big way, but slightly. Now there's an interesting way they calculate it. Uh, and, and it has to do with your life expectancy at that particular age. So it's not straight line, meaning if you are 73, actually, if you are, yeah, if you're 73, uh, they expect a, a, a male to, sorry, your, if you're 73, yeah, your distribution period is 27 years. If you're 73, it's 27 years. At age 80, you would think that it's 20 years. Well, no, it's actually more than 20 years because at 73, a, a man is expected to live about 12 years on average, a woman 14 years. At the age of 80, seven years later, a man is supposed to live eight more years and a woman 10 more years on average. So, you know, every year you're, that you actually survive, um, your life expectancy goes up. And that happens no matter what age you are, right? Um, so that, that's always interesting. So one example of this change is that if you are 75 years old, before you would divide your account balance by 22.9 to come up with your RMD. But now, because of longer life expectancy, you would divide that by 24.6, which means if you had a million dollars in your IRA or 401k, before it was a $43,668 RMD, now it's a $40,650 RMD, so about $3,000 difference. And that's actually a positive. But the question is, what do you do with that money? Well, the first thing you can do is you can reinvest it, right? Put it in a taxable brokerage account, right? And you invest that tax efficiently or in the best way possible based on the market conditions and your goals and your needs. You know, is this money earmarked for the next of kin? Maybe you want to be more aggressive. If you want to continue to live off that money, live off the income, then you want to be more conservative and maybe buy treasuries, corporate bonds, munis, depending on your, if you're in a high tax bracket, et cetera. So something to uh, consider as an option, you don't have to spend it. Now, another option, a lot of people don't know this, if you have a spouse or yourself that has earned income greater or equal to a potential contribution, you can invest the unneeded RMD in a Roth or traditional IRA. Typically, you probably want to do that in a Roth, so you don't have to, you're not on a wheel right? Where you put take money out of the IRA and then just put it back in as a contribution. You can actually do that if you have earned income, right? So if you're 75 and maybe your spouse is 64 and your spouse is still working, you can take your RMD and put it as a contribution, a spousal contribution, even if you're not working anymore. So that's a, a little known wrinkle that you have to consider. But the long and short of it here is that don't use your RMDs as a guidepost for what you should take out. And the reason is because as you get older, the percentage of your, or your, your, yeah, percentage that you take out goes up. So at age 73, it's about a 3.8% withdrawal rate. At 80, it's a five. At 85, it's a 6.3. Because that's, that's what's going to happen is, 
because that divisor gets smaller and smaller each year, you're going to have to take more and more as a higher percentage. So as you get older, that, uh, that percentage becomes quite large. Um, and that could be an issue if you don't reinvest it and you spend too much of it. All right. Now, next, next and best talk, the story behind this question. Why is crypto acting like a risk asset again? Bitcoin and Ether are on pace for the worst month of 2023, down 10% and 6% respectively. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Paul from South Carolina. I'm a longtime listener and first-time caller. I want to thank you for all you're doing for us investors and for your show. My question is twofold, and it's about technical indicators, especially a cup and handle pattern and uh, a double top pattern. I was wondering if you could please explain to me the differences between the two and how to tell the two patterns apart, because they seem to have many similarities, but of course, very different outcomes, the cup and handle being bullish and double top being bearish indicators. I haven't been able to find any information on the internet on how to differentiate between the two. So I was hopefully um, to uh, ask you for your expertise. And the second part of this question is about gold. And in particular, um, the stock NUGT, it's a two times directional daily gold miners index. Um, the one year chart and the six month charts are showing, I think, a cup and handle pattern. And I was thinking about making a trade. I think it's, uh, would this be a good vehicle for a short term trade? Again, thank you so much for your show, and I'll be listening for your answer on your podcast. Thank you. All right. Well, let's start with the first part, which is the difference between a cup and handle and a double top. And the answer is the difference is one's bullish, like you said, and one's bearish. Uh, now, I, I'm not a huge like cup and handle type of person. Uh, I think that uh, you just uh, the end of the cup and handle is simply a move higher and a consolidation period. And sometimes that consolidation period is a, is a pullback uh, before that ultimate launch higher. And that's all that is just because there was a long period where it was in the doldrums uh, that created this cup doesn't make it, I think, any more or less bullish than uh, a normal uh, move higher in consolidation period. So that's all that is. It's just bullish consolidation. Now, a double top, that can mean a lot of different things. Um, and it could mean just a start of a, a start of a consolidation period that ultimately uh, breaks out and, and moves higher. Um, so it's hard for me to explain this all uh, over the over the air because it's always it's a charting is a visual thing. You have to look at a chart, kind of show you how these things work. Um, so that's my answer on that part. Now, when it comes to Nugget, the first thing you have to do is never look at this chart. Let me repeat that: never look at this chart. Why? Because this is a derivative. This is a derivative. This is a, an ETF that derives its price from another security, right? So this is tracking the gold miners, the GDX, two times. So it's going to move based on what GDX does. So the pattern on GDX is actually what you want to be looking at, 
not nugget because there's a lot of tracking error in these leverage ETFs. You don't want to use these as long-term buy and hold vehicles, any levered ETF, whether long or short, doesn't matter. Okay. So if you want to go and look at GDX, you know, is it bullish? I would say, yeah, it's pull having a pullback now, but it still remains in a broader, longer term uptrend. It's not a powerful one, but it's certainly making a series of higher highs and, and higher lows, uh, really since the bottom in 2016. So is GDX, you know, bullish? Yeah, overall, longer term? Yes, it is. And, but that's, once again, that's a longer term pattern. When you're buying these levered ETF, you want to hold them for a week or two weeks, maybe three weeks max because of that tracking error. So you're making a play on a short-term move. If you want to own GDX, own gold miners, because longer-term picture is still pretty bullish, then just own GDX. Don't go out and buy Nugget. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a bit about the debt ceiling. You know, the debt ceiling is certainly top of mind, it's bringing headlines, it's bringing market volatility. And the question is, what will happen? What are the potential ramifications? Now, if Congress does not raise, is late to raise the debt ceiling, I think eventually we all know they will, it's just a matter of timing. The federal government could do a few things. It could not pay some of its obligations. And that could be servicing the debt, but it could also mean prioritizing servicing the debt and not paying other priorities. So basically all the tax revenue that comes in in the month of June, it would just go towards paying back interest and in principal for our debt. And that would mean that Non-interest spending, such as Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense, civil service salaries, they would all need to be cut, furloughed for a time. And that would need a cut of about 27% of all of that spending, so over a quarter. Now, let's say the Treasury prioritized Social Security because so many people rely on that for just simply living. Well, that would mean all that other spending would need to be cut by 35%, over a third. So federal employees, military personnel, government contractors, they would all see their income drop dramatically in, in, in furloughed, which would have a lot of knock-on effects on the economy. Now, corporate tax receipts are going to come in in June, so that's going to help maybe stave off uh, major furloughs, major problems for a short period of time. But that's, once again, very temporary. And this would have an impact on the overall economy. Right now, second quarter GDP expectations based on the Federal Reserve's Atlanta, Bank of Atlanta GDP Now forecast is 2.6% this quarter. And if you did have a large cutback in non-interest expenditures, you'd probably see second quarter growth go negative. 
and probably the third quarter as well. It would almost guarantee we're in some sort of recession by the early third quarter. Now, I think we're going to go into a mild recession late third quarter, early fourth quarter anyway, but this would probably bring it forward a bit. Now, what sectors would be hurt the most? Well, consumer discretionary. Restaurants, tourism. If you're not getting paid, you're probably not going to out to eat very much. And this happened in 2011. There was a debt ceiling impasse back then. So this is nothing new 12 years ago. Consumer sentiment fell, stock market declined a bit, and then ultimately we uh, rebounded in 2012, which, you know, I, I think that's what you're going to see a mini version of that, right? You've seen that so far this week. Maybe we get more pullback next week as well. But ultimately, this is a game of political brinksmanship that we've seen many times before. Now, another potential outcome could be Biden instructs the Treasury to ignore the debt limit, invoke the 14th Amendment, and then there's a, a legal battle that, that happens. I actually don't rule this out because basically you're forcing the Republicans to sue, basically saying, hey, you should default on the debt. I don't know how political, politically palatable that could be. And also, the courts would have to accept it. I mean, the courts could actually say, you know what, this isn't something we should be deciding. This is something, this is a political issue that you guys need to work out. And obviously, this creates reputational risk and uh, could create major problems for the, the, the banking sector, uh, especially because they own a lot of these treasuries. People become more risk adverse. Credit spreads could widen. You've seen that over the past couple of days. And really, that would be that ultimate down-the-line effect. Borrowing from corporations, being able to service their own debt, that would become more difficult. Now, ultimately, the high cost of a technical default probably means there's a last-minute deal. Like there always is. And I still put that much higher than the market is expecting. I think it's now a 30% chance of a default. I think it's less than five, but something to watch. And I wanted to get to it because it's uh, it's important to, to follow, but don't get too caught up in it because this has happened many times before and everyone has the same reaction. And part of that's good. Right, having that fear of it is ultimately brings the deal. When people stop being fearful of it completely, that's when I'd probably be a little more worried. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we have to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, "What about LDOS? Its P is slightly higher now, but is expected to earn seven thirty-two next year." Makes it seem like a slight bargain. Do you guys still think it's a good company and now that it's a cheaper buy? I don't personally remember saying this is loving this company. Um, it has pulled back pretty dramatically, 27% down from its 52 week high. Low growth business, last quarter revenue growth, 6%. A couple quarters before that, 4%. 5%, a couple quarters before that. Uh, earnings were down 7%. And what do they do? They provide scientific technology 
solutions primarily primarily in the area of national security, health, and engineering. So they sell things like the the wonderful TSA screening scanners that you have to stand you know stand on the the, the yellow foots and they scan you. Uh, they, they make those uh, for the Department of uh, Homeland Security and, and a lot of other uh, things for the government. Uh, obviously, if the government is looking to cut spending, could this be a reason for that? Right? So they service a lot of government spending that's not your traditional entitlements. And I, I'm actually seeing this. There's actually a signal in the market that if you look at LDOS, as well as a Lockheed Martin, right? Go look at LM. Uh, oh, I guess it wouldn't be LMT. Um, what's the other major contract? LMT is down pretty decently from 500 to about 440 over the past month or so. Um, as well as some of the other defense contractors. I don't have that off the top of my head, but I definitely have been noticing a trend where they're struggling. And is this a signal of the market saying, hey, our fiscal situation is getting so you know dire uh, and our entitlement spending is going up so dramatically that they're going to have to cut defense, right? Right now, the Republicans don't want to do- cut any defense. So, you know, does that ultimately mean that they're going to? The market is kind of signaling that. And I don't like that. And expectations for earnings this year and next year continue to decline. I don't like the trends in the charts. I don't like the trends in the business. It's not cheap enough for me uh, to get excited about it. And there's not that clarity on the business for me to jump in. So I'm holding off on LDOS and waiting for a little more clarity on government spending. Now here's a reminder. Now is an especially good time to subscribe to the KPP Premium Newsletter. From now through Memorial Day, each new subscriber will get a free copy of Steve Peasley's book, The Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll send you an email directly, get your, uh, get your address, and ship you out a copy. And when you subscribe to the newsletter, you will get an up-to-date analysis of current market conditions, two stock ideas that Steve and I think you might want to watch, and tips on how to prior, properly manage your portfolio. You can learn more and subscribe now at kppfinancial.com. Now, we're going to head over. Are we doing a break or are we going to head to Sid? All right, we're going to go to Sid in North Carolina looking at EBS. Hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Good evening. Um, Yes, I'm looking for EBS. I have a very small position in my portfolio, and I think I have picked up at the wrong time when I was learning all these things in the beginning. Mm So it was a buying price of 64, and right now it's in single digit. Do you think this is a good price to add something uh, for the dollar cost point of view, or I should forget it? I have less than 0.1% of my portfolio. Thank you. All right, this is Emergent Biosolutions. They offer public health products, the government, and healthcare providers. What's interesting about this name is that they were earning nice profits, kind of up until the pandemic. Their cash from operations now is negative 180 million. Pre-pandemic, let's take a look back here. Let's go to 10-year chart. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so pre-pandemic, their business was kind of already rolling over. And then the pandemic kind of saved them, right? If you look at September of 2019, so the third quarter of 2019, 
they dipped into negative about $100 million in operating cash flow. After many years of kind of vacillating between 100 and 150 million in operating cash flow. And then their, their business surged to positive 500 million in the fourth quarter of 2020. But now it's back to negative 180 million. And earnings this year are supposed to be negative $1.51. The technicals look terrible, trading $8 per share. I see no reason to own this name. Technicals are poor, the fundamentals are poor. Yeah, I would, I would actually sell it and move on. Now we're heading into uh, our final break. So if you wanna give us a call now, you can do that at 888-99-CHART. From now through Memorial Day, each new subscriber to the KPP Premium Newsletter will get a free copy of Steve Peasley's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. Learn more and subscribe now at kppfinancial.com. Hey, Steve and Justin. Quick question for you. CF Industries, ticker symbol CF, got it at about 1% of my portfolio right now been headed down for the last six months. I'm probably down 36% on it at the moment. Uh, is this still something that you guys foresee as a, as a positive future? If so, would this be a good time to maybe double down or buy some additional shares? Thanks. Bye. This is CF Industries, and they are manufacturer of nitrogen fertilizers. And this is really a play on Natural gas arbitrage. That's really what it is. Because the way you make these synthetic fertilizers, about half of fertilizers in the world are, are synthetic, meaning uh, they use some sort of, um, use usually natural gas that they inject into uh, the fertilizer in a, or to create the fertilizer. Uh, and he, they make it cheaply here in the U.S. because our natural gas is very cheap and they export around the world. And their business boomed during the uh, the war last year uh, because natural gas prices in Europe were many multiple times the uh, what it was here in the U.S. And so they were making a ton of money on that arbitrage. They earned $18.88 last year versus $6.56 the, the year before. And they're supposed to make $8.81 this year uh, because that, that arbitrage has shrunk. I do think that longer term, it's going to continue to be fairly, very robust and they're going to earn uh, strong returns. However, that arbitrage, once again, continues to uh, kind of shrink a bit. So I, I think long term, the geopolitical problems in Europe aren't going to change. The lack of uh, energy coming out of Russia to Europe is not going to, to change, right? They're per basically no longer going to be getting cheap natural gas from Russia. So they're going to have to find it other places and it's going to be a lot more expensive and therefore the ability to make nitrogen fertilizers in europe is really not going to be very economical so they're going to have to turn to companies like cf industries who can basically arbitrage the difference and i think long term they will they will do well even though that arbitrage is shrinking today and that's going to always ebb and flow but i think generally it's going to stay elevated and they'll earn good money all right Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a lot. Let's talk a little bit about syndicated real estate investments. And you're starting to see some of them go under. And one of the biggest ones is called Apple's Way Investment Group. And they, at one point, were one of the Houston's biggest landlords. And they got dozens of small investors to pony up thousands and tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars 
and they pitch them, doubling their money, right? It's kind of one of those too good to be true type of uh, pitches, and a lot of people fell for it, right? YouTube videos, investor conferences, they, that's how they got their investors. And they describe buying up older buildings, older apartment buildings, cleaning them up and raising rents and selling for a profit. And they basically, they acted like it was low risk or no risk. However, they were not very smart and they were borrowing money on floating rate loans. And now Apple's way investment group is bankrupt because of it. They didn't lock in the low three and a half percent rate that they could have back in 2021. Inflation increased, so it'd be harder. It's harder to, uh, more expensive to shine up these properties, and bills went unpaid, and companies' properties went into foreclosure. And these, this is just one of thousands of real estate syndicators that are out there. From 2020 to 2022, real estate syndicators reported raising 115 billion dollars from investors. This, according to the SEC filings. Now, Congress back in 2012 opened the door to syndicators with a law that made it easier to, to, to market real estate investments online. And that's why a lot of people are putting money into these online REITs, syndications, et cetera. You don't really, most people don't know exactly what they are, but the history of these things just really aren't that great just because they used to be pitched in uh, rooms at hotels, right? Conference rooms, but now they're pitched online. And the problem with a lot of these syndicators is there's a lot of conflict of interest. They earn about two to 5% of the purchase price of the apartment building. And they earn a management fee of two to 3% of gross income. So they often make money even if the investment fails. Uh, and you know, there's big followers. Grant Cardone was this, the, the founder of this fund. Grant Cardone was his mentor, right? And Grant Cardone has 4.3 million followers. Not to say that Grant Cardone doesn't have positive things to say, but the main takeaway here is don't buy into that just because you see it online, understand the risk that you're taking, understand what could go wrong. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And for a lot of these real estate syndications, it's going to end up badly. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking. <clears throat> Independent thinking. Shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.